Welcome to Industry Leaders Journey, where we explore the lives and careers of conscious leaders who are making a positive impact on this world while they transform the supply chain and procurement business. My name is Su Shem. Carol Wendt is a CPO at Ascend Performance Materials, a chemical company. The one word to describe Carol is trailblazer. You will feel her energy and force while listening to her life story, which made me think of women like Carol who paved the way for me and my daughter's generation to equal opportunities. Carol is also setting the trend for procurement professionals to sit at the C-suite table. Now, let's begin the journey. All right, Carol, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so looking forward to talk about your journey. So can we talk about the beginning of the beginning, your childhood? My childhood? Yes. <laughs> sure. Uh, not, too, uh, not too miraculous of a childhood, pretty normal. I'm uh, born and raised in Northeast Ohio in the Cleveland area. Um, my dad was a pharmacist and he was an independent drugstore owner. And my mom uh, did all the bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. And my mother's mother came to live with us when I was three. Mm -hmm. So I was raised by two mothers, my grandmother and my mother. Um, going to high school, I always was very interested in uh, science and math. Yeah. I excelled in, in that area, um, probably some of the impact from my father. I, I will say that during high school was a very defining moment, probably one that's lived with me and motivated me through most of my career. I had a homeroom teacher who actually was the girl's gym teacher. Uh -huh. And um, in 11th grade, she was talking to all of the students about their futures and what we should be looking at and things like that. And I was a relatively good student. I was uh, not an A student, um, but I had predominantly Bs and As, maybe a C in English every once in a while, which was my absolute hated subject. But anyway, she talked to me and she started out telling me that not all women um, go to college and maybe I should start looking at doing some home economics and some uh, other areas. And that really upset me. A teacher in 11th grade would be telling me that I may not want to go to college when I've always had my, my focus on going and being something technical using my science and math, which I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. So that incident made me really upset and gave me though a lot of motivation. And I graduated from high school, got accepted at the University of Cincinnati and went into the most technical area that a woman could go into at the time. And this was, this was quite a little bit ago. I graduated from high school in 1971. Two years into that, I ended up getting married uh -huh. And my husband, and it was my first husband, we moved all over the United States nine times in seven years. Wow. I continued trying to go to school, but that wasn't real successful. And after seven years, we ended up getting divorced. And I came home to Cleveland with a three-year-old. And the advice of my dad was that he'll help with my son, but I needed to go to college and get a degree. Ah. <laughs> That, that sort of defines my childhood and my motivation. And really the one behind me is my father. 
he was always very supportive. Oh my God, that's an amazing story. I have so much, so much to comment on. First of all, I am the daughter of pharmacist as well. <laughs> So I was like an instant oh connection. <laughs> yeah, we had our own drugstores and all that. Oh, that's amazing. And then also, like, I wanted to mention that, you know, the home economics thing <laughs> when I was in high school. So, okay, I, I was born in 1970s. So, <laughs> but uh, you know that. <laughs> well, but, I, I, as I, you call me a pioneer, I probably feel like a pioneer. <laughs> right. But even that, I was in, uh, I was in South Korea. So by the time when I went to high school, it was better, but still like home economics class was everywhere. But I think subconsciously I hated it so that I was a good student and all A's, but home economics, I was D. <laughs> <laughs> I think I wanted to fail on purpose because I just Ooh, didn't want to be good at that and that's kind of my my thing so I totally understand how you felt about it and I remember I said to my t- teacher I want to go to computer science computer engineering and uh, she said um well your character and all maybe you should think about other things and be a like, journalist or something else so I didn't end up going to engineering but later on I did go back to computer science yeah, somehow detour. very good <laughs> yeah so it's like it's similar in a way very different but very similar that's cool all right so that's how you got into the chemical uh industry and oh, it's beginning of a I guess going back to school I I went back to school predominantly actually for biomedical engineering. And basically to be a biomedical engineer, your first step is getting your chemical engineering degree. Uh So when I was back in Cleveland, I went to Penn College of Engineering and pursued a degree in chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. And at that time, lots of things had changed between when I graduated high school to when I went back to engineering school, because it was about eight year difference. And women were getting it more into engineering at that time, which was allowing me to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, an opportunity came. Some of the big companies in the area were looking for co-op students. At the time, I wasn't really sure what a co-op student was, Mm -hmm. but I did find out that it was a foot in the door of a company that when I graduate, I would have a job. Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life as a single mom, I thought that was extremely a great opportunity for me. So I took a position with Goodyear Tire and Rubber Uh um, as a co-op student. And that's what really brought me into chemical engineering and the chemical industry. Wow. So your Goodyear time, it sounded like uh, you had a long career at Goodyear before you came to Ascent. And then also you started engineering. And at some point you moved over to procurement and commercial side. So I'm really interested in uh, hearing about how you made that transition. Well, at Goodyear, I went into um, as a co-op student and then I graduated college and I went to work for Goodyear full-time. And I hired into Goodyear um, and how Goodyear calls it on the five-year squad. Uh And the real concept of the squad were high potential people and they get a year assignment in different areas of the company Mm -hmm. to understand how the areas interface with each other. Mm -hmm. So I had assignments in technology, in engineering, in operations, um, in sales and marketing, and ended up hiring into Goodyear full-time in R&D, in technology. And I was in that area for about three years. I ended up getting a patent mm. um, for acryl nitrile water separation. And when I got the patent, 
I just felt something was missing uh, in technology. You work on a lot of projects and some are good and some are not, but either purchasing was killing my projects because they could buy things cheaper or marketing couldn't sell the project. So we were dusting off 10 year old projects that became new again. And that's the life of R&D, but I wanted something more immediate. I wanted to make a difference to the bottom line um, and see it. I guess I wanted immediate gratification, maybe you want to say. Yeah. And an opportunity came in procurement to buy the streams that I was modeling. So I actually had a chance to take my technology over into the procurement area and buy those streams. And I, it was a very, very difficult decision for me to not stay technical, but it was the best decision of my life. I really fell in love with the procurement area because it let me see a lot of different industries that I was buying from and understanding how my company fit with the rest of the world. Wow. So, you know, another uh, uh, parallel or similarity I see is that I started also in a computer engineering or development area, and I really wanted to move out to the commercial side because I wanted to see the big picture where, where it's going. So totally understand. But at the same time, when you're making that big decision, like of changing career directions, like, because you're technical, you know, you're proud, you know, it's, it's all, oh, you right. smart people, right? So, so there's a lot of pride on that. And that has to be like a let go. So it's a more let, letting go of the ego and then willing to start kind of from the beginning again and learning something new. Right. You became, yeah, you had to start learning from the beginning. It was interesting to be able to utilize my technical though. And I still do material and energy balances and still solve problems like an engineer. So I, I was able to use some of my engineering, which made me feel, feel good. Right, um, right. But I learned so much more above and beyond than that. Right. All right. So, okay. So I also wanted to talk about the, you know, your working environment as a female executive, especially in the environment like Goodyear, I can imagine it's quite male driven. So how was it like? <laughs> well, the tire and rubber industry is probably one of the most, and probably even till today, one of the most male dominated industries. And I was the first woman that ever stepped foot into my first assignment. Um, and I worked in a bench scale operation and there was no ladies room. So if I needed to use the restroom, a man had to stand guard there while I did. Um, early in my career, I, I never wanted to be looked at as a, a token woman or anything like that. I wanted to my ideas and my thoughts to be thought of as um, equivalent um, to my male counterparts and valued on their content. So I really um, stayed very professional all the time. And I, there's one time and it sort of defines what I would want is I worked for North America Tire. I was on the leadership team mm -hmm. and I worked for the president of North America Tire. His name was Bill Sharp. And he asked me one day, how can we attract more women engineers into Goodyear? Hmm. And his suggestion was, maybe we should have uh, on-site daycare. And I looked at him and I said, that would be nice. And I probably would use that, but that's not the key. The key is you need to stop thinking of us as women engineers. 
we're engineers yeah. and our thoughts and our ideas are the same as anybody. And that's all that we really want. And that's my belief. And it still is my belief today is on my own merits. I want to basically plow my own, own way. And I always have stayed extremely professional and I've had to fight some difficult battles going through a good year. Um, had to, because it's just a very male dominated world and had some prejudice there, but I fought my own battles. I felt I had to stand on my own two feet. Mm -hmm. did, did, what did he do? Did he take your advice and do something different at the end? Your present? <laughs> well, they, they actually paired up with the YMCA mm -hmm. and they put a daycare center on the campus. And it's like a five mile square campus that has about 13 buildings on it. Wow. And one of them was a YMCA. And they did make that into a daycare center, which I use. Okay. <laughs> and it was very convenient because I could take the kids to work. And my husband, I've been married and I, I have a husband of 37 years now. And he's also a chemi. We were lab partners in, in engineering school. Oh, that's but um, we use that quite a bit, um, the daycare center there. That's cool. All right. Okay. So now let's talk about the current uh, company Ascent and um, the impact you're creating here. Before we dive into it, can you explain a little bit what Ascent does? Um, Ascend is a nylon 6-6 company. We were formed in, in June of 2009, and we are an offshoot from Monsanto and Solution. Mm -hmm. So we're Monsanto's nylon 6-6 business which they spun off to Solutia. And then Solutia went bankrupt actually and was selling off their divisions. And our company bought the Nylon 6.6 division. Nylon 6.6 is a plastic, it's a polymer, um, very um, unique properties that make it very applicable being used in automotive. So it's used under the hood of a car um, in many places, radiator caps and things like that very much being used in a new electrical vehicles right now. Mm -hmm. So in because the batteries are very hot. So much of the components under the hood um, actually use more nylon 6.6 than in regular internal combustion engines. But when Ascend bought this business, we bought five operating plants and the five plants that we run are, the, are very large petrochemical facilities, mm -hmm. high energy consumption, and large economies of scale. And half of our customer base is global. And I can get material into China cheaper than I can get it to Minneapolis. So a very good supply chain, good cost economics. And each one of our plants feeds the other. So we run the largest acrylonitrile plant in the world. And most all of the acrylo goes to Decatur, Alabama. Mm -hmm where in Decatur, we run uh, the world's largest adiponitrile facility. And then that adiponitrile is sent to Pensacola, Florida, where we have the largest integrated nylon 6.6 facility. And we can sell it out of Pensacola as what we call neat polymer, or we can send it to Foley, Alabama and or Greenwood, South Carolina um, and make compound where we mix it with other additives. Last year, our company expanded very significantly. We went from a U.S. manufacturing company with global customers to having assets on the ground in three continents. And we expanded in Europe and in, in China. So today we have nine plants versus when we started, we had five. 
but that that's our business model and we sell a lot of a lot of polymer we're the largest nylon 66 uh, producer um, but we also sell many of the intermediates that go along the path so a lot of different uh, chemicals that we sell as uh, co-products wow first of all i always thought the nylon 66 I mean, i always think about my nylon stockings <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nylon 6.6 was very large in carpet in the 2000s. The carpet industry went and your flooring industry went more towards wood oh. and on tile. And so the Nylon 6.6 carpet industry really changed. Um, and that's when our company moved from carpet into engineered plastics. Oh, I see. Um, and so instead of spinning carpet, we're extruding plastic compounds. Right, right, right. I never knew that it was used, uh, you know, under the hood. And I'll check out. I have electric vehicle. <laughs> check out the wood. Well, there you you have you have at least uh, twenty plus pounds of our material in. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and it's also amazing that value chain you have within you know between the uh, you know your plants whatever you produce and you also it's like no zero zero waste. You're almost selling everything in in between. Right. We we try to sell all of the materials and um, you know monetize all of the materials that we buy from procurement. We want to take all those molecules and make something out of them. That 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 is exactly right. Right. So therefore you're going back to now your role in essence and then you are the a critical factor here in that growth and then procurement as a growth engine here. You know, I'm interested to learn about your journey within procurement. You started probably in the beginning when there was not much technology or digital uh, technology was there. And now you're going through a digital transformation journey. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, how did you begin the digital transformation journey? When, when I came to Ascend, we had no procurement organization. That's what attracted me to Ascend was I got to build something from the ground up. Um, and so I had a, a large responsibility there. Mm -hmm. So Ascend was not that big. Um, it was still good size that we could make a difference, but I got to build the procurement organization from the ground up. Um, we had um, just a few people within the plants doing procurement. And the way that I always explain it is, is that um, the, the purchasing people sat outside the plant manager's office and wrote purchase orders, but strategic sourcing, nor any of the real things that make a procurement organization a value asset to the business had been recognized at the time. And that's what they wanted me to build. And we did, and we focused on educating our teams, finding people that um, most of the people in procurement were engineers. Um, and technical people. I didn't have any business orientated. So we brought in some business people. So problem solving could be done in more than just an engineering way. And we built a strategic sourcing organization and came a long way in a very short period of time. But at a point, and as we started maturing, we were hitting a brick wall that technology was not our friend. Um, we, we needed to be able to understand what is our spend. We needed to be able to understand how to direct people to be buying from the sources that we were negotiating. Mm -hmm. So we, we needed technology to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. And that's what started the digitalization journey. 
And one of the things that I've always lived by within procurement is I never really want to be world-class procurement or procurement excellence. None of those were really things that motivated, but to add value to the company, always add value. And so when we started looking at digitalization, we felt the best value we could get was to start with e-sourcing. We, so we started looking at tools that we could utilize that could give us some opportunities to source better, mm -hmm. faster. At the same time, we put in a contract management system that allowed us to control our contracts, understand them, and have a repository for them. Mm -hmm. And then as we started creating value and our savings went up, we went up significantly in our, our effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And then we found another roadblock and we hit another wall where we needed better visibility of what we're buying. Mm -hmm. So in our next sort of step on our journey, we're implementing what we would call requisition to pay, um, but it's basically automating the front end of our SAP system. Mm -hmm. So when did um, when did you start with SAP? So the beginning from the resourcing all the way. Well, SAP was part of Solutia, and we mm -hmm. we cut that out of Solutia um, and sort of un undid the whole spaghetti network. Um, so we've had SAP ever since Ascend was formed. We're running on R three mm -hmm. right now, um, but the procurement module has been in place ever since the company's been 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 there. I see, I see. Okay. That's how we got involved. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know exactly where we started, like our, our history, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's where that that is. So we've been around, you've been we've been around you for a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. So um I have have having done that so far. So what are the lessons learned that, that you want to share? As far as one of the biggest lessons I, I take back is always focus on where the value is and optimize the value. Don't, don't go looking for world-class procurement and just all the bells and whistles because every, everybody out there is gonna have a new shiny object. You need to make sure that you're look, listening to the voice of the customer, um, listening to the business, understanding the uniqueness of the business and drive the value that way. Yeah, okay, that's a good message. <laughs> all right um so that actually kind of answers me uh, overall you actually capture really nicely how procurement actually contribute to uh, ascend uh, overall that rapid growth especially in the middle of covid i don't know that you guys saw the definitely opportunities in the challenge <laughs> well during the middle of covid i we we took a little different approach and than a lot of companies we we definitely um, had a very big impact to our business during the second and third quarter of 2020, which mm -hmm. uh, most all businesses did. Mm -hmm. um, our plants maintained running throughout that whole time, and we focused on that, mm -hmm. um, obviously not running anywhere near capacity. But we also took the time, and that's when we actually grew, and we basically um, had three acquisitions during that period of time. Um, as well as developed and implemented a cogen facility for our plant in uh, Decatur, Alabama. So we took the opportunity of the slowdown 
to sort of regroup ourselves as to where we're going for the future mm-hmm. and stayed on our long range plan. Yeah. I think all the amazing successful companies they came out stronger during this uh, the biggest recession or biggest just right. period. So yeah, that and that also shows the leadership, right? So who's leading that organization? How they can yeah. maneuver these uh, challenges. I want to quickly touch upon also the sustainability because you did mention that it's high energy, right? You guys have to consume a lot of energy for sure. And uh, what's your view on sustainability? Well, sustainability, as far as is, is extremely important to us, and it's our right to operate. That's the way we look at sustainability. It's our right to be a company and operate. And so everything we do we look at what are the emissions from it and how can we take and reduce our carbon footprint. We've got quite a few projects going on because we are a high energy consumer. We're eliminating all of the coal out of Decatur, Alabama, which is a very large electricity user and putting in cogeneration there. And we will be totally coal free from the whole company by the end of this year as the cogen plant comes up. And we have, we have a director of sustainability that has people from all organizations on, on his team. And one, there is a person from my team on that team. And we are tracking our progress as we go forward. Right. I really like that, the way you said it, right to operate. What a great phrase, right to operate. Uh, it's like yeah. a stamp. We sincerely believe that. We believe that that is something we, we must uh, we must accomplish to maintain that. So that's mm-hmm. important to us. Yeah, that's good. I want to shift a little bit about the overall wisdom that you have gained all this time. So probably you mentioned last time when we were talking, you know, this will be probably last, uh, I guess, your role or the, the company that you're going to be working on before you retire. <laughs> I've been in the industry about um, 37 years and never really thought I would have seniority in a second company after Goodyear, but I don't think I'll be going anywhere else. I I love what I'm doing right now and enjoying it significantly. So then what would be your final big project that you you want to put your mind and all the energy to? Well, number one is uh, maintaining the journey on the digitalization for procurement, I think is, is very important to me. But I do have a pet project. One of the things that is um, probably the love of my life is the petrochemical industry. And petrochemicals is a very big piece of Ascend. So one of the things that I get an opportunity at Ascend to be a very integral part of was we were looking to build our own propane dehydro plant, PDH facility to support our propylene demand. Ascend is a very is the largest non-integrated propylene consumer in North America. And when I started Ascend, we went from being back integrated with a partner on site to no back integration as that partner shut down. And I had to develop all of the propylene supply for Ascend in a very short period of time when I first got here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was we wanted to um, invest in a PDH plant. We never were able to get that project off the ground. Um, it was a very large capital initiative mm-hmm. and the company was brand new. But now there's an opportunity as PDH is coming back into the United States um, in, in the marketplace right now, an opportunity for us to be able to 
form an agreement to get PDH made propylene into our portfolio. And that's something I really would like to see happen. Well, that's definitely just beyond the typical procurement thing. It's actually really creating new business. It's a, it's a strategic model. direction for right. the company. Yeah. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you had an amazing career and uh, it traveled all around the world and being in the technical side to the commercial side, you've done it all. Congratulations. <laughs> what, so what, what would you say you know for sure? Uh, I know for sure, basically, and it would be a little different um, than what you might expect, but um, families first, okay? And I, I, I couldn't have done what I've done. And, and with Goodyear, I traveled all over the world, but I couldn't have done all that without a very supportive husband. He could pick up, we have four kids, and he could basically pick up with the kids where I left off at any time. So what 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 I know is, is that family is first and always will be first. And that's probably the one thing I'm most proud of is my four kids are married through college and basically working in the professions that they chose. And that's my, probably my biggest accomplishment in my life, if, if you will be honest with you. Great, great. Yeah, uh, there's always uh, people who support you and that is so important, the support and love. Um, but then I wonder whether this question and the answer will be the same thing, but I have to ask. So if you summarize in one sentence, what would be your you know, career success factor? Um, I, I think that it comes back to, um, I have to understand that I can't be superwoman. Mm. Okay, as I said, families first. Um, you, I, you cannot be superwoman and you gotta let some things go. I might've missed uh, some of the taking cookies to the PTA or celebrating, you know, different school events during the day. But I was always there for the kids when they needed me. But I, I just couldn't stress, I, I wasn't going to be super mom. And I wasn't going to be super career woman. I had to balance those two things. So I think just understanding you need to take a balance in your life is probably the most important lesson I've learned throughout my whole career. All right. Yeah, definitely the balance. And uh, it's definitely we all women are thinking about it. We always feel guilty, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're either in one place and thinking about, oh, I'm, what am I missing out and feel guilty? Yeah. Good, good advice and a good point. So okay. normally I finish my podcast always asking one last question and finish sure. this sentence. I am optimistic, that, that, that. I am optimistic that, um, well, that's a hard question here. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that this industry and this world will work itself out and will find the right balance um, as it pertains to sustainability and as it pertains to business in general to continue on forward through generations. That's a great note. And that's exactly why we are doing the think tank together. So we have that opportunity right. and hope. All right. That's right. All right. So thank you, Carol, so much for sharing your amazing, awesome stories. <laughs> so okay. great to know that you're the daughter of pharmacist too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Carol is such an inspiration, making me want to live my life authentically while experiencing it all. 
What I learned today is that I can create my own path by being true to myself, not worrying about someone else's beliefs and expectations. And that journey doesn't have to be alone because we know there is love and support from our loved ones. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Ariba.com.